0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rory Poulter.
1: And I'm Lucinda Rouse. Each week we bring you half an hour of discussion and debate about the important goings-on in the charity world.
0: This week we'll be exploring how charities can make the most of university populations. Listen out for how they raised $30,000 for one banana and find out which charities are doing it really well from the perspective of a recent graduate.
1: Exciting stuff. But before we get to that, Rory, you've been looking into job shares for the long read you were working on last week.
0: Yeah. So I did a piece last week getting into the bonuses, maybe potentially some negatives of job sharing in the charity sector. And it was really interesting. It's something that I've not really thought about or looked into in the past, but it's kind of off the back of the huge rise in hybrid positions post-pandemic. I mean, the Chartered Institute of Fundraising found last year that there had been a 900% increase in hybrid positions in the voluntary sector since the pandemic. Hmm. So it kind of goes hand in hand with that. And what it means is you get two very senior heads for the price of one, which is a bonus not only to the professionals themselves, but I think it's a huge bonus to the charities who are employing them.
1: Does it tend to be at the senior levels that this is happening or is it At all levels? Well, it
0: can be at all levels, but there are some very high-profile examples. So I spoke to the CEOs of Birthrights, who gave me some really interesting insights into not only how it works for their professional development, they get the opportunity to bounce ideas off each other, but they also described it as a superpower. And it's really helped them, in their words, to better navigate discriminatory challenges they find as charity leaders i thought was really interesting
1: what challenges are those
0: so to quote them they said as women of color with two young children each we've never considered a chief executive job possible for us at this stage of our lives and we could not imagine navigating some of the discriminatory challenges or power dynamics we face as charity leaders without being in sisterhood with each other Hmm. which i think is a really powerful position to take and it's just interesting how job sharing has allowed them to grow as individuals while also helping each other with the same role
1: yeah, absolutely. And how does it work, practically speaking? And did you find that it differs across different organisations in terms of who's doing what, who's in which days, whether they are working on completely disparate areas or whether they're both involved with the same projects?
0: So generally, what I found is it's a weekly split. So uh, Monday to Wednesday and then or Wednesday to Friday. So sometimes there is a bit of overlap on a Wednesday, depending on the organisation. But I think most people that I interviewed agreed that the best way to do it was to not have individual projects that one person is working on that are then completely untouched the other half of the week when they're not in. It's very much a case of they're doing the job, they get to the end day, they hand off, they explain what they're doing, and then they leave it completely in the hands of the other. So I think the key thing that they would describe as not necessarily a negative, but a challenge of job sharing is you have to have complete trust in the other person and their ability, and their commitment to want you and this position to succeed.
1: Hmm. And did you identify any downsides to job sharing? I was wondering about benefits, if any charities offered those. Presumably that would come at twice the cost to the charity.
0: I can't really speak to how the benefit system works specifically for job sharing. I mean, obviously they are getting paid one salary, which is split between them. But I can't say exactly how the benefits goes either way. But I'd say the only thing that even comes close to a negative is you really need to have that trust in the other person because it can go so wrong if you don't have that trust. If you're going in on Wednesday and you don't know what you're going to be getting yourself into, you haven't had a good crossover or you don't think the work that was done Monday to Wednesday is of a good standard, then you're starting off on an awful foot and it's not going to go anywhere.
1: Yeah, you'd be really in trouble if one of the pair was not pulling their weight and the other one was working overtime. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully that never happens. (laughs) Great. Well, anybody who's interested to find out more can read your in-depth piece on the Third Sector website. Now moving on to our main segment, we're keen to find out how the voluntary sector can offer enticing opportunities to university students and maximise the returns that charities get out of them. There are more than 2 million students in higher education or that was at least in 2021-22, to according to Universities UK. Some are more time-rich than others, but studies have found Gen Z to be the most charitable generation in the country, with a healthy appetite for volunteering in particular. So how can charities tap into their predisposition to do good?
0: We have two guests to help answer this question. First up is Wajid Akhtar, who in his day job works as a GP. He's also the founder of Charity Week a student and volunteer-led initiative which began life in a London medical school over 20 years ago and now spans eight countries.
2: Hi Wajid. Hi, thank you very much for having me.
1: Also with us is Harry Tuig, Communities Officer at The Brilliant Club, a charity which supports PhD students from less advantaged backgrounds to study at the most competitive universities. He's also a trustee of the British Youth Council. And Harry, you graduated from Oxford University last year, where a lot of your student life was spent involved with charity work. So you're very well placed to tell us what makes a charity initiative really appealing to students.
3: Thanks very much. Good to be here. Yeah, I think for me, the first thing is that exactly what you said in the introduction, students really care about societal causes and kind of want to get involved. I think for me, I was always looking for those opportunities that gave me a chance to kind of really take ownership over something. So, you know, the the kind of drive-by opportunities like giving people a tour or kind of speaking to them for half an hour were great but i think what really got me excited was the opportunity to kind of contribute to something a little bit bigger whether it was strategic thinking planning and events that kind of ownership over what's going on
0: uh did, i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the beginnings of charity week and its goals and aims
2: oh, thank you so much i'll tell you a story this actually happened to me when i was my first year at medical school uh, i saw a picture in a magazine there was a five-year-old child on the side of a road. It was dark, midnight, and he was hugging his three-year-old brother. And the caption underneath said that the photographer was looking to find, uh, find out what these kids were doing on the street. And he asked the five-year-old, he said, why are you here? Where is your family? And the five-year-old said, we have nothing and no one. All we have is each other? so i keep my brother uh, warm at night and we sleep here on the side of the road and like anyone who's seeing a picture like that you immediately your hand goes into your pocket and you want to give some money you want to help them but i stopped for a second and I thought to myself what happens after they use this money what happens after this meal where are they going to get their next meal from and even if I gave a lot of money and I took care of their food, what about a shelter? They have nowhere to live. So even if I got my family together and we provided at home, what about education? And even if we got my community together and we provide them education, what about healthcare? And the realization that I came to was that money isn't the solution to poverty or to the problems that we have in the, in the world at this time. And actually what we need to be looking for is we need big solutions for big problems. We need to work together. We need to unite together to do that. And that's where the idea of Charity Week began. It is a unity project that has charity as a side effect, but the main impact is let's work together. And it speaks to what Harry was just saying about, you know, a cause that's something that people resonate with, unity being that cause.
1: And it started at St George's Medical School. Why did you feel that that kind of initiative was particularly well suited to students? And how did you make sure that it appealed to students to really get them involved?
2: I was a student. So even though the grey hair now says I've been a while, but so I naturally went for my own peers. But students are looking for things to do. I mean, we're looking for inspiration. You know, you have that amazing mix of they're they're starting off on a new journey, especially when they're going into university, a new intellectual journey. They want to try new things. They want to make their mark on the world. They're less cynical. They're less weighed down by baggage often. Uh, and I might, this might be sounding ageist, but they genuinely feel like things are possible. Change is possible. And so it was a ready-made audience to start with.
1: Yeah and Harry that chimes in with what you were saying about what makes a really successful charity partnership or what can really appeal but what are some of the other ways that charities can entice students in terms of offering them something in return for their time and for their philanthropic efforts?
3: Yeah for sure and I think this is so important that we think about. I think there's a lot of kind of competition for students time and particularly as we're kind of You know, everyone's very aware. I don't want to bring cost of living up, but everyone's very aware. It's a difficult time. And I think that's impacting students a lot as well. That kind of real need for there to be something. And I think actually it's exactly what we were just talking about. That real sense of belonging and that real sense of community, I think, is what a lot of students are are really looking for. It's moving away to university. When I moved away to university, I didn't know anybody. I was in this bizarre city that I'd never been in before before. But actually, the thing that brought me a lot of real comfort was that I could keep volunteering with this charity that I'd volunteered with at home. And it felt like I was taking a little bit of home to university with me. And so it's that sense of belonging and that sense of community, I think. So whatever ways charities can foster that, whether it's you know social events on campus where it may not seem like the charity is directly gaining anything. But you're building those relationships, building that trust, building that sense of belonging. And I think it's so, so important.
0: Harry, I was wondering if you could kind of speak to, if there is any advice you could give charities to specifically engage with like working class students who really want to get involved. And that's a good audience for charities, but they feel
3: like they haven't been able to reach out to them specifically. Yeah, for sure. I think in terms of thinking about class, I mean, it, it's complicated, isn't it? I feel like students kind of like, you know, as a work, someone who was working class myself, who then kind of ended up studying at Oxford. It's a very confusing time and kind of class, I think really is in a state of flux. So it's kind of thinking about what, what we mean by that. But I think in terms of like supporting working class students to really engage in volunteering, it's about really making sure that there is, for me, those tangible benefits there in terms of things that you're gonna, you're gonna get out. When I volunteer as a student, the big part of my volunteering was with Nightline, which is a kind of student-led helpline service on campuses. And we kind of did a little bit of a bit of digging and found that I was kind of the first coordinator of the service. So kind of, I guess, equivalent of president to have come from a state school in kind of nine, 10 years. And so that kind of culture of volunteering that that perhaps doesn't exist quite so much in kind of, you know, the state, state education and kind of the, those sectors. But I think working class communities are really like rooted in their communities, rooted in that sense of belonging. And really like willing to give back to the world. I think it's really important that we kind of harness those lived experiences that people have got and use them for good. So for me, it was that lived experience, of educational inequality and and seeing that firsthand that then a charity was able to come along, harness that, really grab that passion and kind of utilize that that in their work. And I think that is really effective. It's acknowledging that lived experience that people are going to bring to the table and how we can really use it for better and for good.
1: And Wajid, I'd love to get your view on that a little bit later, but I think first we need to take a step back. And if you could tell us about the setup of Charity Week in terms of its relationship and collaboration with Islamic Relief, which is your partner charity, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So when we started off, because we had this vision that we wanted to really bring together the widest array of people, we decided at the beginning that we didn't want to become a charity ourselves. There's a lot of work that goes into being a charity, there's a lot of dotting the I's crossing the T's, and therefore it would be better for us to partner with a charity. And we went to a few different charities, and what we found, which I think really speaks to what has been the theme of this discussion, when we went to Islamic Relief, we told them about what our vision was, what our goal was, and they said, yep, we'll support you, if you need a budget, we'll give that to you, we'll help you with our expertise, and i asked them so how much money do you want us to raise or what are the what are the guidelines and they said there's no guideline there's no strings attached and i was taken aback cuz usually when i went to charities there would be loads of strings attached they'd want to quiz us and they just said no we we believe in what you're doing and therefore we're going to support you it's not about the funds and one of the things i can genuinely say you know over 20 years it's consistently not been about the funds And the less that it is about the funds, the less, even though that is important, I'm not making it out that, you know, fundraising isn't an important part and isn't helpful. But the less that they go out specifically to raise funds, the more people are attracted to the actual charity and the campaign and its values. As Harry was saying, you know, reaching out to people for what motivates them, what inspires them, as opposed to a number on a cheque.
1: So it sounds like Islamic Relief has taken quite a hands-off approach to Charity Week. Is that correct?
2: Probably not. Hands-off, they're actually very supportive, so they are very hands-on, but they're clear that the students, the volunteers, are the leaders of the charity. They set the tone, the agenda, and they're here as a supportive mechanism, which is very hard to do because if I think of myself as a professional, if someone was to come into my workspace, into my area of expertise and say, I want you to support me, but I'm going to take charge. That will be very difficult for me to get used to the idea of taking a step back. But the fact that they've managed to do that because they see the bigger picture has been one of the key reasons why the project has succeeded.
1: But presumably there are risks to the charity of taking that approach, such as reputational ones.
2: Definitely. I mean, it, it, you have to take some risks. In order to trust somebody else, and there are risks here where you have maybe students who are maybe less experienced or less mature, or may say or do things that could provide issues for the charity. And in order for this to work, that trust needs to be accompanied by a high level of dedication by the the volunteers, they need to be able to show and prove that that trust is well placed. And there needs to be hopefully systems in place to ensure that not only are the volunteers protected, but also the charities protected as well.
0: Harry, I was wondering, in your opinion, what more can Umbrella Bodies do to promote charity student engagement?
3: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting one. And I think kind of Charities Week is, is a great example of the kind of importance of just, just celebrating what the sector is. I mean, I'm really lucky that I work in the sector and kind of a, a trustee at an organization so have been able to be involved. But I think having a real presence on the ground at, at universities is is really important when we're thinking about, you know, young people moving into the sector. But yeah, in terms of what the sector can do, really tangible things, I think it's really investing in building those relationships. and obviously that's much easier said than done because relationships cost money to build and they take time to build, right? So it's much easier said than done. But I think investing that time to build those relationships, hear what students really care about is, is really tangible and kind of like a really positive thing for the sector. I think just getting boots on the ground and just really shouting about how incredible the sector is, the amount of careers fairs that that I was invited to, and obviously being a student at Oxford probably slightly skewed my experience, but the amount of careers fairs that are big corporate organizations, all of the law firms in a room, all of the banking firms in a room, you know, what can the charity sector do to really promote itself as a really tangible and attainable career for young people? And then also, I think just not underestimating young people, I think is the last thing. To say, I think it's all about flipping the type of knowledge that we value. I think quite often we we value very traditional knowledge that's gained over years and years of experience, but actually, if we flip that and we think about lived experience as a type of knowledge, and we think about those things, I think charities, yeah, can really gain a lot from working with young people. And I think the last thing that that I'll say, which is something actually that Amnesty International got no connection with them them whatsoever, but it's something I've seen them do really well is like student societies at at universities can be huge champions, huge supporters, where you, you know, give a society, give a group of students a real basic toolkit for what they can do, how they can organise, discussion prompts that they can get students meeting and discussing, speakers that maybe you can provide a speaker once a year, twice a year. Like What can you do to really get out there amongst universities, I think is what I'd
1: say. Just going back to your point about the need for charities and the sector as a whole to build relationships and invest time in building those relationships, it sounds like Amnesty International is a charity who's done that really well. But I was just wondering who exactly within the student bodies should be contacted? Because isn't it a really big problem that student populations have a big turnover? I mean, most people in an undergraduate degree are out within three years.
3: Yeah, I think turnover is huge, right? Within student populations, I guess in terms of who to contact, and again, I think student populations. There's there's lots of opportunities here, in that you have lots of events where students will all end up in one place. So whether it's a freshers' fair, whether it's a hall of residence where you've got you know hundreds and hundreds of students living somewhere, but what you've also got is universities also have a lot of structures that that exist already. So Reaching out to student unions who kind of convene students, bring them together, who host events, those kind of things. Reaching out to student societies that already exist that are, you know, working on similar issues, I think is another kind of really great way to go. So yeah, I'm not, not suggesting that kind of, you know, every charity in the world sh- should start flyering every student bedroom because that probably isn't isn't gonna gonna reap reap much reward on either end. But just approach, I think, in terms of being slightly strategic about who do we reach out to, where are the students going and how do we kind of meet them there where they're at.
2: I, I agree. And I'd I'd add that on every campus there will be at least one person who will f- feel very, very strongly about that particular charity or that particular mm. issue. That's probably the person you want to reach out to because it's a saying that we've, we found resonated in COVID. The messenger is as important as the message. So... Students are much more likely to respond to a member of the student body who says, you know what, I resonate deeply with the work that uh, UNICEF or uh, Amnesty or whatever it does, and I want to establish a society. And then those who haven't really given it that thought or aren't sure about it, but maybe want to give some time, then they will be attracted to that student, as opposed to the charity coming in themselves and saying, who wants to volunteer for us? And for Charity Week, for example, we work with the Islamic societies. And you're right, the turnover rate is huge. but. Every year, we need to make the case to the Isanxites why this is worthwhile, and there's no shortcut. If we don't make the case well enough, they won't take part and they'll say, Well, you know, uh, we don't see why we should be supporting you. We need to make the case, and hopefully, their previous generation, where our our current representative makes the case to the future representative, and so on.
3: I think that kind of comes back to the question that that we asked earlier around what what can charities do to support students i think empowering students to tell stories is a huge one like how do we train a generation of students who can go out there and be really comfortable in telling their narrative their personal story publicly in a way that feels safe for them and in a way that's aligned to their cause So, for example, the charity that that I'm a trustee at, the British Youth Council, we kind of empower young people to try and create social and political change. There is so many incredible young people out there doing that at the moment. And how do we really get those young people in a position where they feel, you know, able to speak to their peers about why that is important? Because I completely agree with what's just been said. I think the role for the charity is to support young people to do that. But that authentic story, if that comes from a peer, that's so, so powerful.
0: So that's kind of how a charity can help a student and kind of give them the skills going forward. But what value do students like bring to charities?
2: I find that it's a bottomless pit of energy and innovation. It's unlikely a charity is going to be constantly keeping up with the latest technological trends, right? By the time they get their Snapchat page up, you know, it's Instagram now. And by the time they get their Instagram page up, everyone's on TikTok. And they cannot keep up with the rate of change. But students do it it all the time. And they're flipping from one to another. So students bring that kind of contemporary grassroots knowledge. They know how to access their peers and actually their communities because they're often... From a more diverse range of backgrounds than the normal charities base volunteers are charity volunteers outside student, student sectors tend to be uh, of a very similar background from most people whereas uh, students tend to be quite a lot more varied Bit more time on their hands they also innovate they're willing to come up with you know ideas that just wouldn't normally come up in the charitable sector i'll give you an example so we had um an event where we we're doing an auction in charity week and it's the usual events you you auction off artwork or whatever and people bid on it and they ran out of items and they saw that there was still an appetite in the room for donating money so one of the auctioneers he pulled out his lunch which was a banana and he said look it's not about what we're auctioning off it's about giving so here's a banana how much will people give me for a banana by the end of the evening the banana went for thirty thousand pounds because people were so motivated and they loved the idea that they were, this crazy idea of like, we're actually bidding on a banana, which I don't think anyone actually ended up eating at the end of the day. That inspired the volunteers in Germany who said, we can go on better. And they didn't even have an event. They just had a WhatsApp group. And one of them put a picture of a paper clip up. And he said, who's going to auction off this paper clip? They raised two and a half thousand euros for the paper clip. So these kind of trends, they start out of nowhere. And you wouldn't normally consider if someone put that idea in a board meeting at a charity, they'd be laughed out of the room, but it can happen.
1: But presumably the people bidding on this banana and paperclip weren't students?
2: No, they were students. Deep pockets. They don't actually have deep pockets. This is the thing. So I was sat in that thing and I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, I know you don't have this much money. And they said, we're all contributing towards that bid. And they were calling up their family and their friends. And some of them were saying, I need a new laptop, but I'm going to defer that for a year. I mean, the level of ownership, you cannot buy that. When people say, you know what, I believe in this cause, they're willing to do things that we just cannot you know, believe would actually happen.
1: Well, that's extraordinary. And my next question was going to be about the cost of living crisis. Harry you touched on it very briefly earlier. It's obviously very important. So I'll ask you, first of all, from your perspective of being a recent student, how have you seen the cost of living crisis affecting students' ability to participate in charity initiatives? And also, how have you seen charities being able to help students who are struggling, but still want to keep them engaged?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in terms of how the cost of living crisis impacts students, I mean, inflation on student are kind of increasing on, on student loans kind of actual like what, what students end up within their pocket has been running kind of between two and three percent for the last few years which obviously is not keeping up with the increasing costs of just living in the country and so that impact I think it, it's really important we don't ignore that and actually students really you know stories absolutely heartbreaking stories of students kind of having to have part-time jobs second part-time jobs third part-time jobs really just trying to get by particularly you know kind of living in private accommodation where prices are increasing so I think the impact of cost of living on students is kind of significant but I also don't think we should kind of underestimate students we mentioned this about kind of working class communities earlier things are really tough but I think it's really interesting that charitable giving and charitable appetite is often one of the last things people will sacrifice a bit like the example with with the banana right the last thing that goes is that gift to that charity that they feel really connected to or you know that kind of volunteering that couple of hours of their time and they will be really protective over that so i think it's about building that belonging building that sense of community and like we, we don't have to say that it's all doom and gloom we shouldn't just give up and say well students aren't going to volunteer because everything's getting more expensive i think we've got to think creatively about how we can work it I think a couple of things like quite tangible to think about is thinking about flexibility. Do you have to have this person volunteering at 10 a.m. at this time every week? Or could that student actually just fit a couple of hours in when they can around what they've got going on and adding that flexibility into it? And I think also kind of really demonstrating what we're giving back to those volunteers. You know, caring for a cause is, is incredible and kind of they'll get a lot out of that. But could there be a kind of reverse mentoring program with staff at the charity where the student can have just an hour or so of the member of staff time to look at a CV, to look at a job application, to talk about next steps? Could there be that relationship set up? Or could there be some kind of like Skillshare opportunities where members of staff will just, you know, a couple of times a year, live stream something, just talking about stuff that they know. So thinking about what can we really give back? And that's where I think those relationships are really key, because you're going to understand what your student audience wants when you've got those really deep relationships and you're listening to them and you're hearing what kind of they need.
1: Yeah, that's so important. And really tapping into what their priorities are. And if you're at university, probably one of your biggest worries is, how am I going to enter the job market at the end of it? And supporting them through that sounds like a very worthwhile way of engaging. And Wajid, have you at Charity Week experienced any difficulty in getting students to volunteer their time as a result of perhaps having to do more jobs, part-time work alongside their studies?
2: I think that inevitably there is a little bit more difficulty because, especially when students have to study and do part-time jobs, there will be people who have to think twice. But very much like Harry's saying, I find that most people are looking for something to believe in. And if you play your cards right if you organize it well if you focus on the vision as opposed to the money being raised then people are willing to take that financial hit take that time hit because they're getting something really valuable they're getting the relationships with the people that they're they're working with it makes you feel better one of the things i tell my patients who come in with depression and anxiety I almost always ask them, do you have a hobby? Do you do something outside of your time? And one thing I recommend is like volunteer, get involved because there's nothing like helping other people to make you feel better. There's good evidence to show that people watching a natural disaster or a man-made disaster on television do worse than people who are actually there in terms of their mental health. And it doesn't make sense because you can switch the channel and you don't see the smells and you can look away. Whereas the people who are actually there can't But the people who are actually there are doing something to help. So it's actually just explaining that to students. And once they taste a little bit of it, they realize that. And they're very unwilling to let that go. So cost of living crisis definitely needs to be factored into account. It means that you cannot assume that people are going to come to you. You have to be flexible. You have to be willing to take the volunteering as and when they come. This is where the support from the charity comes in. The support needs to be there because if you take them for granted, if you don't provide them with that support, then they will they will leave. But if you do that, and if you do that well, there'll be some, not only the most loyal volunteers, but they're going to stick with you when they graduate, when they start earning and when they uh, move up the career ladder.
1: That does all sound very, very promising, but I do wonder over the 23 years that Charity Week has been running, Have there been any recurring or emerging challenges that you've had to contend with to keep it fresh, keep it going?
2: Keeping it fresh is a recurring challenge. And one of the ways we do that is we have a different theme every year. We focus on something that keeps the base of the project the same, but the outer shell may be a little bit different, whether it's nature, whether it's Apple, Lego. But another challenge that we have is that there's often a mentality within the charity sector of fighting over that piece of pie and cutting it smaller and smaller. And so if one charity comes up with a good idea, Macmillan has a coffee morning, suddenly everybody wants a coffee morning. And that can you can look at that from two ways. One, that's frustrating because you've put in the effort and the time to build something and somebody's just come and copied it. But it also keeps you on your toes. It means you can't sit back and prevent innovation. So what I tell the team is, so there've been lots of um, other charity weeks that have been started with different ideas and different charities and inevitably that makes people upset. And I tell them, don't get upset, make sure that you what you do is the best quality and to the best level, and people will naturally gravitate towards that if you do a better job. And don't stop innovating. If you expect that because you came up with a good idea 20 years ago, that you deserve people's loyalty right now, then you're mistaken. You need to constantly come up with good ideas and reframe that for people.
0: I was wondering, you kind of spoke to it earlier, Wajid, the importance of social media in reaching students? Like how important do you feel that is?
2: For me, social media is really important. I mean, we've gone through a, literally like the industrial revolution. The world is completely different before and after. And I can speak to healthcare. I actually lecture on social media at some of the medical schools. You know, healthcare hasn't got on board with the social media revolution. And so we're going to be crushed by it if we don't get our act together. It's very similar with the charity sector your entire marketing budget, I would actually say every single charity in the world's entire marketing budget and efforts probably does not compare to one single tweet from Cristiano Ronaldo, right? The reach that he will have. And that is a challenge and an opportunity. It's not a challenge to just go and sign up Ronaldo. That's probably the easier answer. But the, the challenge is how do you take advantage of this thing that can cause a lot of difficulties. It creates lots of issues for young people, but has a huge amount of potential as well. And you're most likely to be able to do that if you engage with young people who are who are literally born into the social media revolution. This is second nature to them. And if you can take social media and you can bring something, good, because I'm not, I don't believe that social media is inherently evil, although sometimes it can come across that way, the way doctors talk about it. I think there's good in it as well especially if we bring the charitable sector and social media together with young people, it can actually be revolutionary in how much we reach people and how deeply we affect people.
3: I think that's mm-hmm. that, that's where it comes back to this idea of kind of storytelling and really equipping, equipping students to be able to, to tell their stories of, of passion, of why they got behind a cause, of what they did. And, you know, can charities use their platform to really share that and really shout about that, really shout about kind of what, what is being done, you know, what, what, how a university in, you know, one university, one group of students have really made an impact. And then you might get another group of students seeing that and thinking, oh, we could do that. And so really equipping students to kind of tell their stories on social media. I think people, students tend to buy and people generally, I think not just students, but we think take the student audience here. They'll buy what another person says above what a brand says most of the time. And so yes, making sure that the charities really utilise those channels, but how do the charities really build those networks of ambassadors in student populations as well, who are really going to speak really powerfully for that for that charity?
1: And could you give an example of a charity that is doing this aspect specifically, but also wider student engagement really, really well?
3: Yeah, I think I think for me, we mentioned the Amnesty International example earlier. Another organisation that kind of jumps to mind is Anthony Nolan, actually the, the Stem Cell Register organization they do an incredible job of mobilizing student communities right across the uk just to do something really tangible and really simple and i think what they do really well is they set student communities a challenge they say okay we need to get more people signed up to the to the donor register go out there and sign people up and then they set students that challenge they you know they utilize digital communications to really kind of shout about what's what's going on what's been achieved what students are doing but i think yeah that that real tangible thing to ask students to help with really kind of works well in their situation. I think
2: we saw ALS ride the wave, didn't we, with the ice bucket mm, challenge. Exactly. You, know, you had everyone take a part. I mean, that's, that doesn't come up that some of those things are, you know, you just strike gold, but some, a lot of those things come up from trying lots and lots of different techniques and trying whatsapp and uh, ideas and throwing and see which one sticks it's not about like this is the one silver bullet and it's going to conquer everything it's usually about consistently putting out hundreds and hundreds of episodes of a podcast and then one of them will catch fire and then people will go back and look back at uh, at the backstory
3: yeah and I think again ALS that ice bucket challenge was so successful it was person to person right like the brand and the organization was there but it wasn't one Instagram feed that, that had thousands of ice bucket challenge, it was everybody getting involved, and I think that person to person nature really spreading is is important.
1: Brilliant. Well, Harry and Wajid, such an enlightening discussion and so many really useful pointers for other organisations to consider. Thank you both so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having us.
3: Thank you.
1: That's it for this week. Next week, Emily and I will be joined by Julie Bentley, Chief Executive of Samaritans, for what promises to be a really interesting discussion.
0: Thank you to our guests, Wajid Akhtar and Harry Tuig, and our producer, Nav Pal.